whole of our heart, it's not acceptable. Amen. 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 Open your Bibles tonight to the book of Second Kings. If if I get kind of jittery and shifting around, as everybody knows, I've been down in my left knee for some time, and yesterday I started getting gout in my right foot, and so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, whereas I was dependent on my right foot, now I've got to just kind of do a little jitterbug back and forth or something. So uh, don't think I'm in the spirit or something if I get to jumping around. I thought about taking my shoes off, and, and since it's holy ground, I guess I could, but I won't. No, I'm okay. Second Kings chapter number 4, we continue in our series concerning the Lord God of Elijah. And, of course, Elijah has passed off of the scene, and Elisha is now, is now at the forefront of, uh, of the ministry uh, to Israel. And now, all of a sudden, our attention is focused on one woman, basically, we begin reading in verse 8, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shuman, and there was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on the day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there, and he said to Jehazi, his servant, call this Shumanite. And when he had called her, she stood before him, and he said, and, she, and, and he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all of this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Jehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door, and he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, According to the time of life. I remember being at the ball game many years ago when Pete Rose broke one of the hitting records. And naturally, all of the people in the Cincinnati area were going crazy. Pete Rose was a hometown hero. And the word great has often been used in reference to Pete Rose as a baseball player. And we talk about people that are great in the context of being a great entertainer, a great actor, and on and on and on. And so many times we use the word great when it's really not appropriate. But God never does. 
when God says something is great, it's great. And here in our text, we find a woman, notice, and God is designating this woman as a great woman here in verse number 8. And so we learn from this story at least two very important lessons. Number one, we learn here that good people sometimes have bad problems. We're going to see that in just a little while. But here's a good woman, a great woman, and she had a problem. She wanted a child. She didn't have a child. And later on, you're going to see, she ends up losing the child. And so a good woman, a great woman with a bad problem. And listen, that can happen to any of us at any time. But secondly, I believe as we look at this story that we can learn from the example of this woman what constitutes true greatness. And there are several things that I notice here that I believe uh, add to her stature as a, as well, maybe you might want to label her a spiritual giant in some ways, but a great woman indeed, and uh, one that God says is great. Notice in verse number 8, 9, and 10, and this would take a whole sermon to develop all of these thoughts, so bear with me, I'll just spend a few minutes. The first thing that leaps out at me is that she is concerned about God's work. Notice Elisha passes through that way evidently quite often. And you remember there had been a school of the prophets, and, uh, and no doubt he is in the process not only of ministering to Israel, but in training young preachers, as it were. But for whatever reason, he passes through that way, and she realizes that here is a man that needs lodging for the night. Here is somebody that has a need, and consequently, notice here that she takes the initiative to suggest to her husband that they construct an extra room onto their house and furnish it to meet the needs of God's prophet. It says here in verse number 10 that they put in that chamber a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. I've heard several sermons just on that one verse. And there's a lot to be said for that as she anticipated the needs of the man and made proper preparation for it. Now, listen, all of this required time, labor, and money. I mean, listen, you don't, you don't have a building program without spending some money and some time and hard work. It takes work. And so this is all involved. And she goes to her husband and she makes the suggestion, you know, let's do this. But they didn't stop there. They immediately started construction on the room. You know, I remember back years ago, back when I first started preaching, how it was so common for people, church members I'm talking about, to entertain preachers, missionaries, guest preachers and so forth in their homes. I mean, it was almost unheard of way back then, especially in the places I lived. Maybe, maybe the big city might have been different, but I mean, you didn't put them in motels. They stayed with you. We've had no telling how many preachers in our home over the years that stayed with us all during the week during a revival meeting or missionaries that would come in and uh, stay with us, uh, you know, while they were there. And, 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 you know, not only did pastors do that, a lot of the church members wanted to do that. 
And it, it, there was a concern about the welfare of the man of God. Well, here is a woman that fits into that category. She wants to do something about it. But she's not just talking about it. They're actually getting involved. Now, listen, whatever we do for the Lord, basically, it's going to boil down to time and effort and usually some money somewhere along the line. You can't have a ministry unless you're willing to make investments in it. And you can't have a ministry unless you spend time and work hard, whatever it is. So here is a woman concerned about God's work. And let me just say this, nobody can be really classified as great unless they're concerned about God's work. Now, you can be a great ball player, you can be a great entertainer, you can be a great, you know, whatever, but you're not a great person unless you have a concern about the work of God. And you can be a great person without getting your name in the headlines of the newspaper on the market. You can be a great person without people outside your community ever knowing about it because greatness is determined by God. And you can be great. Think about that. Maybe you're thinking, well, I, I'm just a plain old ordinary, you know, everyday kind of a person and I, nothing great about me. Well, there can be something great about you. If you're willing to get concerned about God's work. But notice not only that, here's a woman that is conscious of her duties as a mother. Let's read the story in verse 18. Now, everything seems to be going well. She has been granted a child just as she desired. And you always mark it down when things are going good, something's going something's to go bad. For every mountaintop, there's going to be a valley. For all of the blessings of God, there's going to be a struggle. The devil's going to fight. And when the child was grown, several years have passed now, and it fell on the day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, caring to his mother. <laughs> Maybe I better not even comment on that. Take him to his mother, little baby. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Wow, what a change. You know, it's one thing to never have any children. It's another thing to have children and to, and to lose one of your children. You know, it's one thing for people, you know, like the old saying back with a lot of us when we were, when we were young and we were poor, but we didn't know we were poor until somebody told us that. It's one thing not to have a lot of money. It's another thing to have a lot of money and then lose it all. It's one thing never to have been able to see. It's another thing to have enjoyed the precious gift of sight and then suddenly have it taken away to be blind. It's devastating. And how devastating it must have been here to this mother when this boy suddenly dies. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was a heat stroke. He's been working with Daddy out in the fields. He's out in the hot sun and all of a sudden he has a heat stroke and they take him to his mother and there on her knees, sitting on her lap, that young lad dies. What a sad, sad story. 
Now, here's my point. Not only was this woman concerned about the work of God, but she was conscious of her duties as a mother. And I say that because you can't help but but see that she was there when she was needed. Now, I don't know exactly where she was. She might have been out back, you know, weeding or in the house making biscuits and gravy or whatever. I don't know. But I do know when the need arose, the mother was available. Now, please don't misunderstand anything I say in this regard, because I realize there are precious ladies, and I admire them. Single mothers, for example, or some woman that's married to a man that's just a bum and won't provide for his family, and there are mothers that are forced to, to work. They just, they've got to do it to support their family. They are to be commended. Thank God for women like that. But too often the case is that mothers are more concerned about their career than they are about their children. And instead of being there in the place where they're needed the most, they're out there enjoying their career. And and that's just not right, folks. What I'm preaching here tonight is not popular. I understand that. But I'm telling you what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches is that the mother's place is in the home. I know there are exceptions. I know there are times. And even the Proverbs 31 woman, that virtuous woman, she went out and supplemented the income. I understand all of that. But a mother's primary responsibility has to do with being the keeper at home and taking care of those children. Listen, there's nobody that can take the place of a mother. And if you have to have just one little black and white TV in your home instead of five or six, if you have to drive a car that is ten years old, whatever you've got to do to keep that mother in the home with those children, that's what you ought to do. You need to be their mother for those children because nobody can take your place. And here is a mother that is there And no mother can be called a great person if she, and I want to stress this next word, if she intentionally neglects or ignores her parental responsibility. If she just intentionally ignores the fact that she is to be a keeper in the home, there's nothing great about a person like that. And so we can apply this in every area of our life. That number one, that we need to be concerned about the work of God. Number two, we need to be conscious of our duties. And listen, this this is not just a message about mothers tonight. This is a message to all of us. That we need to be conscious of our responsibilities before the Lord. And I can go on and on and on talking about the mother's responsibility in the home, but there's also a responsibility for the father in the home. And i got to tell you, this dude just doesn't seem to be all that concerned. He left it up to her to suggest building a room on the house. The kid gets sick. He just sends him back by one of the servants and just doesn't really seem to be really that concerned. And, and we're going to see even more than that here in just a little bit. Now, the third thing that I notice is found in verse 21 and 22. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. So she is 
Here's the third thing now. She is considerate of her husband's authority. Now, we can say, well, that dude was a dud, you know, or whatever. I mean, here's a guy that just doesn't seem to be that loving, that kind, that thoughtful, or anything like that. But notice, she is considerate of his authority. And consequently, when there is this great need, her child is dead, and she's thinking, I've got to get to the man of God because God is my source of help. And he's in contact with God. But first of all, she consults with her husband. We've got a real problem in America, and it's a problem that goes beyond just, you know, the wives being in subjection. It's a problem of authority, period. So many people, listen, that's why our prisons are full of people. Their philosophy is there's nobody going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing. And here they end up incarcerated somewhere. We all have authority over us, and none of us are really great unless we're willing to submit ourselves to the authority that God has placed over us. It is a shame that so many wives resent the spirit of rebellion in their children when they have the same attitude toward their husband. Now, I want you to think about that. I mean, you've heard... You've heard and I've got, I've got some examples popping into my mind, by the way, you know, where the mother says, well, you just got to do something with these kids. They just won't mind the thing I say. You know, talking to the dad. you got to do something with them. You know, it just might be that the reason they'll listen to dad and won't listen to mom is because they see mom doesn't listen to dad. You ever thought about it? That might be. And I don't need to stand here and go on and on and on, but I, you know, those of you well-versed in the Bible, you understand exactly what the Bible teaches, that the wife is to be in subjection to her husband. Boy, does that ever wrinkle the feathers of people today. Me be in subjection to him? you got to be kidding. And we need to understand that when the Bible talks about the wife being in subjection to the husband, it does not mean that he is wiser, that he is smarter. It does not mean that she is a second-class citizen of some, you know, down here somewhere while he's up there. It doesn't mean that. Somebody's got to be in charge. It's just that plain and simple. And you might be morally a better person than your husband. You might be smarter than your husband. But it doesn't matter. You are responsible to God to submit to the authority that He has placed over you. So again, I want to emphasize, greatness is illustrated by our willingness to follow authority. And it all boils down to this, whether we're talking about the authority of the husband over the wife or the parents over the children or the governmental authority or whatever we're talking about. Here's what it all boils down to. is who is Lord in our life. Are we willing to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ? Are we willing to do what He says? And so many times our attitude is, I know what He says, but I don't care what He says. It's not important. Doesn't matter to me what he says. And I've had people say that in regards to the Bible. Well, I know the Bible says that, but I, you know, I, I'm not going to accept that. 
You're going to be in trouble all of your life if that's your attitude. We've got to learn to live our lives in submission to authority. And the supreme authority, of course, is God. That's, that's where it all gets back to. That's the root of the problem in America today, is we refuse to be submissive to God's authority in our life. But then there's something else here I want you to notice. Verse 23, as the story unfolds, I want you to notice that here was a woman who was very cautious to not be deterred in the work. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither the new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. And then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward, slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel, and it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Jehazi his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shumanite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered and said, It is well. Well, this is an amazing statement. And, and when she came to the man of God of the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Jehazi came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. Now, notice she is respectful of her husband's authority, but she is determined. And you've got to admit the husband did not offer much encouragement. Instead of encouraging her, instead of saying, no, you stay here, I'll go, I'll take care of this. You know, I'm the head of the home, I'm the leader, I'll take care of it, you stay here. That trip would be too difficult for you. He questions the sensibility of the request. It's as though he's saying that it's not even reasonable. And as far as he's concerned, nothing could be done about the problem. The kid's dead. You know, next step, just the funeral. Let's bury him. I mean, there's no need in going to the preacher. Now that's Listen, that's pretty discouraging. Her husband offers no encouragement, so finally she gets there to Elisha, and the servant Jehazi comes out, and instead of him offering encouragement, you know, all he does is make matters worse. Says that, you know, he came to her and tried to thrust her away. You know, don't, don't, no, 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 he's busy, you know, don't bring that problem in here, and, and you would have thought if anybody would have been sympathetic, understanding, it would have been Jehazi, and yet there's no sympathy, no understanding. But this woman is absolutely determined. And that's one of the marks of greatness, determined. You don't determine, listen, you don't determine a person's greatness so much by what they do as by what it takes to stop them. What it takes to stop them. It's not a matter of us, you know, achieving certain things because achievement comes very easy for some people. And so if we're going to measure greatness, we always have to take into consideration the determination that they displayed in doing what they should have done. 
And she's just not letting anything deter her from getting that boy there. And she will not quit because of unfavorable circumstances. She could have said to the husband, well, you know, you might be right. I, I guess we'll just have to cut her losses and just go on. I, you know, this is so hard, so difficult, but you're right. You know, our precious boy, he's dead. We can't do anything about it. Or when Jehazi, you know, discouraged her, she could have just said, well, you know, I guess I wasted this trip. I might as well go back home, tell my husband he was right. But she didn't let anything stop her. Folks, listen, circumstances are not always going to be favorable. Anytime you try to do something for the Lord, you mark it down. The devil's going to rear his ugly head. There are going to be difficulties. Our faith is always going to be put to the test. And we've got to be prepared for that. And we've got to be willing to wade through those, those difficult places in life and to stave of the stuff and to do what we know God would have us to do. So if you know that you're on the right track, you're doing the right thing, listen, don't let anything stop you. Then notice verse 24. And this seems like a really minor part of the story. And I... I suspect that it is, but I think it's very important. And that is that here was a woman that was content to be uncomfortable. Then she saddled an ass. Well, why did she do it? The servant didn't do it. The old man didn't do it. She saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward, slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. Now, i I got to tell you, there's not anything comfortable about riding on a donkey. And she's saying, I mean, let's go as fast as we can, and unless I tell you to slow down, you just keep on trucking. Willing to be uncomfortable. You see, she's more concerned about others, especially her child, than she was about her personal comfort. And not many people can honestly say that. That I'm more concerned about the Lord's church and I'm more concerned about my family than I am my personal comfort. Because the average person today is looking out for number one. That's, I mean, that's primary on their list. Take care of me. Me first. Are you willing to be uncomfortable to do something for God? Uncomfortable. Things that are unpleasant, things that at times may be even painful, and yet we ought to do it because why? Because that's what God expects from us. And nobody is great unless they're willing to be content with being uncomfortable. You see, this is more than just gritting your teeth and burying it. It's more than that. Somebody said, well, you know, I just, I don't want to do this, but I gotta do it, and so I will. And so they gripe and complain and fuss and moan about it all of the time. But real greatness says, yeah, it's going to be difficult, but this is what God has given me to do, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to be content. Remember when Paul spoke about being content to the Philippians there? He said, I know how to abound, and we all think we do, right? In other words, I've got a lot of jingle in my pocket. I, everything's going good. I, I know how to abound. I can be content when I've got an abundance. But then he said that he also knew how to be abased. In other words, whenever the rug's been pulled out from under you, when everything is going wrong, and he said, I've learned to be content. 
you know, whatever state I'm in. He said, I've learned to be content. That's a lesson all of us need to learn, to be content. And especially being content with being uncomfortable. And i got to tell you, anytime you determine to do something for God, it's going to put you in some uncomfortable situations. Those of you that sing special music, now this is a sort of a crude illustration, but it just, you know, it makes the point. The first time you do it, you're really uncomfortable. Right? Wow. I mean, you just, you're... Your stomachs are churning, your nerves are tied in a knot, and you're so uncomfortable. But does that mean you shouldn't do it? You'd be surprised how many people refuse to do what they should simply because they don't want to put themselves in an uncomfortable situation. They don't witness to their neighbors. They don't sing in the choir. They don't teach a class. They don't want to do anything. Why? Because well, that's going to be uncomfortable. Well, so what? I mean, listen, if you're going to grow spiritually, if you're going to be used of God, you've got to be willing to be content to be uncomfortable. Now, notice verse 26. In verse 26, we see another mark of greatness, and that is that she's confident in God's ability. She says, now notice, Run now, I pray thee, to meet her. This is Elisha, of course, talking to Jehazi and saying to her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she said, now this is the answer, and this is amazing. She said, it is well. Hey, her kid is dead. And she says, it's well. I mean, how can she say that? And there's only one answer to that question, and that answer is faith. Some way or another, this woman believed that everything was going to end well, that everything was going to be all right. Here was a woman that although she's going through this terrible pain of losing her child, she believes everything's going to be all right because she knows God is in control. As a young preacher, I'm telling you, I worried myself into a frenzy and the biggest, the biggest issue is I thought I had to just control everything. I had to be on top of it. If somebody had a question, I had to make sure that I had the answer for that question. And then one day I discovered that I wasn't God. I didn't have to control everything, wasn't supposed to control everything, and I didn't know the answer to every question. And what a relief it is when we get to that point in our life that we realize that we're not responsible for everything that goes on in the world. God is perfectly able to take care of things. We need to be confident in His ability to do just that. We need to concern ourselves with doing His will and then just wait on God. Oh, there's that word, wait. Boy, that's tough, isn't it? Wait. Just wait on God. We don't want to do that. We want patience. We want it right now. We don't want to wait. You know, we want to turn in our request right now and get an answer within 30 minutes or so. And it just doesn't work that way, folks. But it doesn't mean that everything is wrong just because we don't get an immediate answer to our prayer. And there's so many times that we think, you know, we think that some tragedy that comes into our life, that this is the end of our world, that we can never again live a productive Christian life, that we might as well just, you know, pick up our marbles and go home and forget about the game, you know. 
But I'm telling you, whoever, whoever you are, if you put your heart in serving God, you do what you know God wants you to do. You're willing to be content with being uncomfortable, make sacrifices, and just trust God. Believe that God in some way is going to use it for good. You say, yeah, I understand that. I know all of that stuff, preacher, but what I'm going through hurts so bad. Calvary wasn't all that easy either, folks. And God took the very worst thing that you can imagine and let it happen to His own dear Son that He might accomplish the very best thing possible. When we go through these tough times in life, these heartbreaking tragedies like this woman is going through, I'm not telling you that when one of your relatives die that, you know, that God's going to raise the the person from the dead. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying as long as we do what God would have us to do, we can have this same kind of confidence. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. God's God. He's going to do what He wants to do. It's all right. It's all right. And that was her attitude. Now notice verse 27. Here's the last thing. This woman was committed to getting the job done. Jehazi came to thrust her away. And the man of God said, let her alone. Her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. And then she said, did I desire a son of my Lord? Question mark. Remember that. Did I not say, do not deceive me? Hey, I didn't ask for a child. You saw that I needed a child, and, and, and evidently she desired to have a child, but she had not made it in the form of a request. And he says, you going to have a child? She said, don't you lie to me about this. In other words, I don't want to suffer that kind of a disappointment. And then he said to Jehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take my staff in thine hand, and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not, and if any salute thee, answer him not again, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, and I love this, As the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. Look, you're not, you're not sending some little reeky-dink helper back for me, you're coming yourself. I'm not going to go back home and face that situation unless you go with me. That must have impressed Elisha because he got up and left himself. And in Jehazi passed on before them. Now, I don't know the exact sequence of time here, whether maybe Jehazi had already just jumped to it, Johnny on the spot, and he'd already left, or whether he sees what's happening and he runs ahead. I don't know exactly how this plays out, but he passed on before them. So I suspect that he's going to try to get there, you know, first of all, which he did, and that he's going to try to solve it without Elisha being there. And he laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore, he went again to meet him and told him, saying, so he's gone back to Elisha now, the child is not awake. In other words, I can't do anything about it. The kid's still dead. And when Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. And he went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. 
And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. And then he returned and, and, and walked in the house to and fro. And you've got to admit, this is really unusual stuff. He didn't just walk in there and say, all right, come on, son, get up. It's time to get up. And, and it's amazing the way that God operates. You know, in the healing, uh, Jesus healing, you know, the different people. And there the are times He required something of them. And the times that He just spoke the Word and kaput, they were healed. And so I don't understand what all's going on here other than the fact that I'm confident that Elisha is doing whatever God's directing him to do. And, uh, and it worked. He returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. That must have been some moment. And he called Jehazi and said, Call the Shumanite. And so he called her. And when she was come in unto him, he said, And you've got to love this. Take up thy son. And then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself upon the ground and took up her son and went out. Elisha responded to her determination. He was going to send Jehazi. The woman said, no, that's not going to work. It's you or nobody. I'm not going to go back without you. So he goes back and notice whenever he goes back, and he's in total control of the situation. There are no questions, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing it like that? What are you doing that for? She just puts it all into the hands of the man of God, just like he knew exactly what to do. You know, a lot of folks want help, but when you try to help them, they want to dictate the terms. And it doesn't work that way, folks. People come to me and say, well, you know, we, we need some counseling. We, we need some help. And so you sit down and you open the Bible and you start showing them the solution to their problem. And all of a sudden they begin to balk and even begin to rebel. Well, you know, well, that's not the kind of help we want. In other words, we just want to get out of the mess that we're in. We don't want all of this conformity to the Word of God and living our life in total dedication to the Lord. I'm telling you, that's the only solution, folks. Unless we're reconciled to God, unless we're living for God, we can't expect all of the other areas of our life to be as they should be. And we ought not to settle for second best. She said, no, I'm not going back with your servant. And a lot of times we settle for second best instead, instead of getting what God wants to do in our life. And this woman's determined to get what God as for her. And how many times do we live beneath our privileges? Don't we? God wants to do more for us than what we let Him do. And we do that because we're not willing to follow Him. We have a great responsibility, a wonderful privilege, and we have a gracious God to help us through with all of our problems and meeting all of our needs. And winning His approval ought to be our number one priority. That makes it really simple, does it not? 
I told someone just this morning, I saw a series of messages I, that, that I plan on preaching in the future, and uh, I said the messages are based on what is called the KISS principle. The KISS principle was a phrase coined by a man I met several years ago, Charles Tremendous Jones, and he had a message that he preached called the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. And uh, you know, a lot of times we get things so complex in church, we need to get back, as it were, to the basics and keep it simple. We need that, folks. I mean, we get so much man-made stuff going on that sometimes we lose sight of what it's all about. Let me tell you what it's all about. It's all about that first and great commandment, loving God, and everything else is birthed out of that. That's the first and the great commandment, and the second is like unto the first that you love your neighbor as yourself, you see. And that's what it all gets back to. And that's why I'm saying our number one priority is pleasing God, doing what He would have us to do. That's what true greatness is all about, living our life in a way that's pleasing to God. And when we do, we can have the wonderful assurance that, as she said in her own words, all is well. You don't need to worry about anything else, because when we do what... He wants us to do, then we've done all we can do. And we need to just leave it there and accept what He allows and do what He says. I don't think any of us tonight should strive for greatness. I don't think that ought to be our go. I don't think we ought to say, you know, I want to be a great preacher. I want to be a great this or a great that. But there is such a thing as greatness. But that greatness is always born out of a heart that is willing to obey God. And that's where our priority ought to be, to live a life in loving obedience to our Heavenly Father. And all of a sudden, when we do that, we find that we become the great person that God wants us to be. So forget about all of this greatness stuff because you'll end up disappointed. You work on being faithful and you'll never be disappointed because God always, always rewards faithfulness. That's what it's all about. What is faithfulness? It's simply loving obedience to the authority of our Heavenly Father. Let's all stand together and...